the notes from the staff where we talk about our point of view and we share the things we're gonna do and we hope you're learning something new because the path to mastering theory begins with you welcome to notes from the staff a podcast from the creators of you theory where we dive into conversations about music theory ear training and music technology with members of the U-Theory staff and thought leaders from the world of music education. Hi, I'm David Newman, and I teach voice and music theory at James Madison University, and I create content and code for U-Theory. Hi, I'm Greg Risto, founder of U-Theory and associate professor of conducting at the Oberlin Conservatory. Thank you, listeners, for your comments and episode suggestions. We love to read them. Send them our way by email at notes at utheory.com. And remember to like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Today we'll be talking about teaching intervals, uh, teaching reading and writing intervals, more so than uh, teaching the oral side of intervals, which we'll save for another episode. Uh, And, you know, this, this, David, I find to be one of the most challenging things to teach in Fundamentals of Theory. There's certainly a lot of approaches to use, and picking, picking one is hard. Yeah. And doing them all is also hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And there's just a lot involved, too, right? I mean, it's like you've got, you've got the, the generic interval size, you've got the specific size or quality, you've got the uh, inversions, you have the compound intervals, consonants and dissonance. It just it just adds up, and it, it's one of those concepts that it seems like uh, I often forget to budget enough time for because mm. there's almost always a next step. And it's one of those foundational concepts that if you are struggling with it, you're going to struggle with everything else. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I find it's also one that can be hard to motivate students to learn because if you're not careful, it feels really like a, a terrible set of math problems. Yeah. Also, it's it's uh, it's really easy to do uh, if you have plenty of time, but it's you need to know it better than that. You need to know it so well that it doesn't take you time. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us who are teaching it, uh, there's also that challenge that, that uh, both uh, Lee Van Handel and Lissa Hogue talked about of... Uh, we already know it so well, it's really hard to conceive of what it's like not to know it. Yeah, and there's all these extra concepts involved, the letter names. and mm-hmm. So it, I guess one of the things that I think about a lot is this challenge of how do we keep the teaching of intervals musical, right? I, I think <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really honest here and say I think the first 15 times I taught intervals... It was the dullest thing. I remember I remember saying to classes, I'm sorry, this is going to seem really boring, but it's really critical mm-hmm. as like a motivator. And I guess it's an okay motivator, but um, but there may be better ways. Uh, the more I've taught it recently, I've focused a lot on, on ways to keep it musical and make it musically relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, we've also had, uh, we've talked to people uh, this just recently about other ways of making it fun but making it fun is not necessarily the same thing as making it musical and making it Mm -hmm. musical is certainly more compelling yeah yeah and if you can do both all the all the better right yeah right yeah so i guess i I don't know I'd, i'd be curious your take on this for me i spend a lot more time teaching when i teach intervals now than i used to talking about consonants and dissonance really early on Mm mm-hmm and talking about intervals as a way to get into how notes work together 
or work against each other. Ooh, I think that's fabulous. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we we're, we said we're just going to talk about the written theory of things today, but, uh, you know, the the intervals that are most fundamental to our physical world mm -hmm. are those early, low uh, notes in the harmonic series. So the octave and the fifth and the fourth uh, well, arguably not. Well, yeah, but the fourth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly, certainly before the third on the overtone series. Right, and um, those intervals are those Pythagorean, uh, those things that are closest to the Pythagorean ideal. Uh, I feel like we should unpack some of these things, right? Like so. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the so when we say the Pythagorean ideal, we're talking about that that these intervals come from ratios of frequencies or ratios of lengths of strings. Right. And so when you have the, especially those notes that are close, those simplest ratios, so one to two. Which is, which is the octave. And two to three. Which is the fifth. And three to four. Which is the fourth. Those are the ones that we're going to perceive most readily when they're, you know, perfectly in tune. The, and those are sounds that the, that we gravitate to. And, and if we, we can build everything else from that. And of course, when you tune a, a harpsichord, you tune it by fifths because that's the interval that you can hear. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, to be fair, you have to, you have to adjust some of those fifths along the way. Yes, and, you have to adjust exactly. you know, whether you put all of that mess in one of the fifths <laughs> or spread it out among four or more. Yeah. Yeah. We should do, we should do an episode on tuning systems, right? That would definitely be a, worth doing. We should add that to our list. In any case, uh, you were saying, uh, although we said we're going to talk about this from a written concept, <laughs> we can't fully separate it out from the oral concept. And, and that, and I'm getting this right in that, that the, those early intervals, which, you know, are effectively the perfect intervals on the harmonic series have, have a particular sound. And, and yeah. when we connect to that, it, it, it starts to make a lot more sense. And to some level, not all, not in all cases, but in, to some level, when we're talking about consonance and dissonance, we're talking about resolution back to one of those simpler um, ratios. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because of course, the third is, you know, when it's, and especially we talk about like if we're resolving, say, to a major chord versus a minor chord, and of course, you know, that that minor chord we don't get on the overtone series. Right, or and at yet least not, still... not very low down. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, not early on. Yeah, not as a collection of the first N notes on the, on right. the series. Yeah. Although uh, I'm discovering through some other methods that Riemann, you know, had some, uh, was on to something when he was thinking of subharmonics. The undertones. The undertones. Yeah. And that we should also save for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> This feels like a teaser for a whole nother season. Uh, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's always good to have ideas for our, for our coming episodes. Maybe we just dive into like the ways that we, we teach this. Because I, I know for myself, when I was first starting to teach fundamentals of theory, I taught this like I had learned it and like I'd always taught it. Mm. And I remember um, observing another teacher teaching intervals completely differently and thinking, Oh, that's totally wrong. The right way to do it is this, right? And I think 
like everything else, the more I've done it, I'm like, oh, you know, there are maybe right elements to all the different ways that we can teach this. So, right. And there are some philosophical things to consider because uh, mm-hmm. you you need to know about intervals early for sure. But you also don't want to learn to build your entire schema around intervals. Yeah. You know, this is a great question. Like, at what point do we start teaching intervals? And, of course, in most curriculum, we start teaching them very early. Mm-hmm. Usually immediately after scales, right? Like, typically, yeah. or, or key signatures. The typical, typical arrangement is, you, you know, you learn your letter names, you learn things on the piano, you learn uh, half steps and whole steps, scales, maybe major key signatures, or perhaps intervals then is, is a classic fundamental structure. And there's a lot of chicken in the egg here. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you start? Because you need some knowledge to talk about the other things. Right, right. Well, and and we, we don't get to introduce scales without first talking about half and whole steps, right? So we've already right. touched intervals. So I don't, I, I still have not solved the problem for myself, except that I think the idea of spiraling your curriculum so that you keep revisiting subjects in more depth is the only solution I've come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is hard to do, especially if you're in, you know, a one semester kind of fundamental sequence. Right. And yeah, when you only get control over one little tiny part of the mm-hmm. <laughs> the education. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've experimented, I've moved it around, actually. I've experimented with uh, teaching intervals after triads. Mm-hmm. The good thing about doing it that way is triads are, are pretty inherently musical things. And there are so many ways you can connect the teaching of triads to, to real music and to music that students are listening to from your very first day teaching triads. And, you know, when you teach, if you teach intervals after triads, then you can talk about the intervals as growing out of triads. Oh, yeah, we, oh, look, we already know our perfect fifths. We already know our major and minor thirds. Hmm. I'm not sure I'd do it that way again, but right. I will say I found it I found it very musical to do that way. Yeah. Yeah. And the just the tricky part is how is is teaching all the things without intervals up to that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. But again, we can spiral. We can talk about them and then we can talk about them in more depth and we can talk yeah. about them in more depth. Yeah. Um if we've learned scales then we have that first step of being able to just identify uh, a generic interval. And we can learn that we can count one, two, that's a second, one, Mm -hmm. two, three, that's a third. Um, uh, Even that is one of those tricky things that is, is probably hard for a beginner student is to remember to include the note that you started on when mm-hmm. coming up with the number for the interval. Yeah, um, for sure. It, yeah, that's definitely a common fundamentals mistake. <laughs> it, it absolutely is, right? And, and even, even for someone experienced in fundamentals, if I say, you know, uh, what's a third plus a third? Oh, that is the math then gets ridiculous because you're saying... Yeah, it's it's like saying two plus two equals five, and right, <laughs> yeah. Except in this case, two well, plus two around. equals three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here, everything you've learned in elementary school is wrong. Right. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about the pedagogy of generic intervals. So when we when we say generic intervals, we're talking about uh, 
intervals just including the letter name. So we're not we're not concerned about whether something's major or minor or perfect, etc. Right. Just the distance on the staff. Right. And as you said, the first challenge there is the the tendency to say, okay, uh, yeah, E minus C should be two because I've moved because it's two <laughs> below E. But of course, we used one based counting for our interval system instead of instead of zero based counting, and so it's three. And we just take it for granted. And we just take it for granted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once you get past that basic challenge of, oh, yeah, we have to count the outer notes, both of them, then doing generic intervals is pretty easy, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily fast. Right. Especially if you're doing letter names, because then you have that. It's almost it's easier to look at it on a keyboard or a staff Mm -hmm. and see because you have a very clear visual but letter names means you have to have a schema for that. You have to right. have a that pattern in your head. Yeah. Um, which I guess is one of the reasons why we use uh, why we hear a lot of advocating for uh, key, use of keyboard. Mm-hmm. Although I actually think uh, figuring out the generic interval looking at a keyboard is harder because truth because on the staff because the keyboard of course by itself doesn't and the Mm -hmm. reason why it's so easy on a staff is because the staff is and i love to remind my students of this a tonal notation system oh yeah very true the tonality is built into that notation system yeah and so yeah if you see it if you see it on a staff you know exactly what it is Mm -hmm. there's no question and uh yeah if you see a tritone on the staff we i tend to use in my classes and i don't know if this is uh, you know, legit, but uh, I, I tend to use tritone generically for that sound mm-hmm. um, because out of context, you don't know whether it's an augmented fourth or a diminished fifth. But on a staff, you see right away whether it's an augmented fourth or a diminished fifth. Yeah, yeah. On a staff, we're in the context of a key. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So ways we can get students to fluency with generic intervals um, I think I think you've hit upon something really important, which is that uh, looking at it on the staff versus working in letter names are it can be two different things, mm. uh, and and we need students to to attain fluency in in both of those. So um, I, I certainly have ways that I uh, like to try and help students get there. We're speeding up interval writing, generic interval writing, and identification on the staff. Uh, one of the classic tricks of course is to help students to notice that uh, if both notes are on a line or both notes are on a space it's going to be an odd numbered interval no matter how big or small the interval is right and and if they're not then it's an even numbered interval and we've talked before about pattern matching Mm -hmm. and i i definitely know that you know i i look for patterns on on the staff yeah it's more advanced concept to think about what a triad looks like or uh, in various inversions but yeah but uh i guess if we if we learn quickly to identify thirds and fourths Mm -hmm. or fifths and sixths uh as intervals then we're more likely to be able to also see how those fit into patterns that we're likely to see in triadic um in tertian harmony for sure yeah yeah um i like to do a silly game of i put up my hand you know sideways with my fingers spread so it makes a staff and then i just take two other fingers and 
I plop in uh-huh. an interval and, you know, after a beat, <laughs> nod my head and the class calls out fifth right. or third or right. second. But, you know, it's just... Um, and then to have students drill each other that way uh-huh. uh, on their little on their little hand staff, uh, just to to pair up and yeah. And not only is that very handy, um, <laughs> <laughs> because you always have it with you. Yeah, that's that's great. And I I have also used uh, I've done similar things uh, with 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 the cinder blocks on the walls of my mm-hmm. school. <laughs> Where the yeah, where the the blocks themselves or the spaces and the ground. Yeah, yeah, you can the, find lines. you can find yeah. staff analogies all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and just being able to see that right, it's it's so it, it it's so much easier to to see those intervals on the on the staff than it is to think about them in abstract letter names. Mm-hmm. Um, an exercise that I use that I learned from a student of a student of Nadia Boulanger, <laughs> <laughs> who, you know, it's theoretically attributed back to Nadia Boulanger, is that um, uh, that she would talk about the idea of an infinite piano uh-huh. that just spread infinitely to the left, low, infinitely to the right, high. Mm-hmm. And, and she would say, just take a finger and put a finger out. And now let the piano slide left or right under you. And you can come to any note. And so at first, just imagine that. Just, so just, you know, see your finger over C. And then see the keyboard sliding under it until your finger is at A, for instance. Uh-huh. And so now we're going to set the keyboard sliding at kind of a slow rate. And we're going to say the name of every note that passes under our finger. Uh-huh. So we'll slide in and we'll say C, D, E, F, as we're seeing the keyword pass under. Great. Easy uh-huh. enough. We get back to C, we come back down. So now let's slide it a little faster. And let's say the name of every note. We'll wind up skipping one of the notes that passes under our finger each time. Oh. And so now we're saying C... E, G, D, D, F, A, C. Uh huh. And we do that coming down C A F D B G E C. And now we so and so now we're saying our thirds, right? And then, mm-hmm. but but the important thing in this is that you're actually you're seeing the keyboard sliding under your fingers. That you're not just memorizing some abstract set of letters. Mm-hmm. And so her idea you know, was to make like, so that when you're thinking about your thirds or your fourths or your fifths, you're not just thinking about some abstract, oh, I know G is a fifth above C, but in knowing that you are also seeing everything that came in between it. Right. And you're connecting those two worlds that we were talking about, the, mm-hmm. the, the alphabet world and the visual world. Yeah. Yeah. So that they're not separate concepts. Yes. Yes. And so, and the, the great thing about all of the intervals, uh, which maybe not everyone realizes, but there are many great things about all the intervals, but one <laughs> handy thing for this particular exercise is that for any interval, if you repeat that interval up or down enough times, you will get back to where you started. Right. Yeah. 
And we're still talking generic intervals. And we're still talking generic intervals. That's right. Because that's, because that is, uh, that is actually also the case with specific intervals. You will eventually get back where you started. It may have a different name. Yeah. You will get back where you started. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes faster than you expected. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tritone C F sharp C done. (laughs) A hypothetically harder concept, which is actually in fact easier. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Major thirds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not major thirds because then they would get wildly complicated. You you wouldn't get back to where you started because you. Oh no, you do very quickly. You do. Yeah. C E G sharp C. But it, no, because you C, E, G sharp, B sharp. Oh, right. To do this version, you have to allow yourself to respell, to respell something. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the thing about that exercise is you can't do it for more than like 45 seconds or you lose your class. Oh, right. right. <laughs> it's just. It's, it's, it's true. And I studied with several people, as I'm sure you did, who, who studied with Nadia Boulanger and, and uh, some of them, uh, the ones who more try, who more distinctly tried to emulate her, mm-hmm. uh, definitely posed challenges that left the class in the dust <laughs> at times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that might be a fun episode too. Uh, you know, the, the yeah, the Nadia Boulanger teaching legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gosh, she was yeah. so influential. Right, so so many composers, in particular, studied with her. Yeah. So, okay, so I mean, so generic intervals, right, there, I think maybe the other thing worth saying, as, as you were talking about spiraling, right, with any of these concepts, we can't, students will not attain fluency and speed within the first day, two, three, four, that they experience it. It, it takes repeatedly coming back to something right. to, uh, to build those connections, to build that fluency. And, and so how are they going to build that fluency? And I think like the same way we learn language, you just have to use it mm-hmm. constantly and, and probably engage them in ways where they need to <clears throat> come up with it quickly. I mean, the way that they hate is timed quizzes, mm-hmm. <laughs> although that's valuable. Um, of course, we love the fact that... Um, you know, computers are a way of, of, of giving that kind of, uh, feedback at a, at a rate that a student can handle mm-hmm. and, um, sort of progress with the, the, the student because computers are much more patient than we are for sure, but also through games, you know, and that competitive spirit, um, mm-hmm. along with that, another thing I love to do is take something that's fairly easy to sing and to have students sing it on generic interval names mm-hmm. right like uh, happy birthday for instance mm-hmm. right you go ah, unison second second fourth second third oh. unison second second fifth s- second yep fourth unison octave third third <laughs> second second sixth unison second third second second right Ooh. and it's it's wonderfully hard. I, it's even it's even hard for me, right? But it's uh, it's certainly easier when you're looking at it on the page. But it can be, you know. And I always I always will pick a song that most everyone knows, right? Like right. to do this. This to me is not about. This is not how we want students to sight sing. 
by thinking about right. the interval from the note they're on to the note they're not on there that that can build up that can can yeah. cripple fluency in sight singing for life if you're thinking about sight singing that way and and it's super common and it is super common i i cannot uh, I I so often am doing sight singing with a with a class, uh, you know, and they're already in their third or fourth semester of, and and they will get a big leap and they'll all choke. And they're trying to summon the interval to mind. Yeah, because they're trying to think of the interval when I'm like, it's T. You know where Correct. T is. Just sing yeah. T. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This I feel like this is this is going to be the hill I die on. Is <laughs> <laughs> don't sight sing by intervals. I mean, there are times when the intervals are helpful, but they are they are rare and you know, or where 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 we wind up needing to really think primarily in in an interval concept, context. Right. But those situations are are really rare in actual music. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyone, anyone who wants to hear us opine more about this should go back to uh, <laughs> our very early episode on solfege systems. As, so, as if we're opinionated or something. No, I know, right? Imagine, <laughs> imagine, yeah. Um, but okay, so we've talked, we've talked about generic intervals, and and that's the quote unquote easy part of of teaching intervals, where people, and I think most people, you know, kind of teach generic intervals the same way. It's a simple concept. There are not right. that many different ways of doing it. But where pedagogy really differs in, is in how we teach specific intervals. So I, I've seen four ways of doing this. Um, uh, and I'm, just to, to enumerate them, teaching intervals by half steps, which is to say learning that a perfect fifth has seven half steps and mm. four letter names or five letter names, depending on whether you're counting the outside. Yeah. Uh, teaching intervals by scales, which is to say that from scale in a major scale from one up to any note in the scale is a major or perfect interval and from one mm -hmm. down to any note in the scale is a minor or perfect interval mm -hmm. uh teaching intervals by natural intervals uh in other words intervals from uh, if both of the notes were natural as in c natural e natural right what would that interval be mm -hmm. uh and then uh teaching intervals by scale degrees so knowing that anytime I'm going from scale degree four to scale degree six, that's a major third, and that can transfer across various keys. Yeah. So those were the four I came up with. I, David, do you have any others that I that I missed in that list? Not that I'm not that I'm aware of, but those. And the thing is, except for the first one, I think you just need to know all of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Okay, yeah, and and the first one being intervals by half steps, knowing that your major thirds have four half steps. Right. Oh right. God. Um, so, I don't even okay. know what that is. I would have to look and go. Right. Okay. I would have to count. I don't have that information in my brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I don't either, except from set theory, from teaching oral right. skills four so many times, hmm. and you know, just yeah, yeah. But okay, so this first approach, teaching intervals by half steps, uh, effectively, the idea here is that you learn that any any given interval has a certain number of uh, half steps in it, right. and a certain number of letter names. So we learn our perfect fourth has five half steps and four letter names, four letter names total, that's including the outer notes. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, you learn this, most people who teach this way teach uh, all the major and perfect intervals and then teach how to alter from the major and perfect intervals to get any of the other intervals. Mm. And That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, I, uh, one of the things that I love about this approach is you can teach intervals in a way that someone who has failed every previous quiz in your fundamentals class will still understand. Gotcha. Right? Because it's just, it's you find the note on the piano and you count your half steps. Right. And then you find the version of that note that matches the letter name that's however many letter names apart. You know, I think the, the thing that's so tricky about this, though, is that it requires so many transformations. Mm-hmm. Um, you, for, it won't work. If, it won't work just looking at a staff unless you have an already inherent knowledge of how that staff translates to whole steps and half steps, mm-hmm. uh, in which case you're already advanced enough that maybe you didn't need this this uh this process and if you're looking at the keyboard it doesn't yeah it's it's you're gonna have to do a lot of translation you're gonna have to count one two three four five and then go okay but that's the third Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um and it's uh that's a lot of yeah it is a a slow process because of all those (laughs) transformations right yeah I will say, and and this was this was the method that when I when I saw that teacher, this was back in two thousand and five. Uh-huh. I saw a teacher teaching it this way, and I thought, this is the worst. I will never <laughs> do it this way. But I also think if we skip teaching this concept, uh huh, sometimes students, what this concept makes really clear, is that when we're using intervals, what we're really doing is counting musical distance two ways. Hmm. We're counting it by letter names and we're counting it by distance and half steps. Hmm. And and those are different. Right. Even though we kind of merge them into one naming system. So so I I guess for me this this approach is one that I introduce in about 15 minutes. Uh-huh. Just to be sure students have this idea that like and and I introduce it usually by saying, okay, find me a, a white note fifth on the piano. Uh-huh. And how many half steps are in there? Uh-huh. And can you find me a white note fifth on the piano that has a different number of half steps? And of course, <laughs> there's only one white note fifth on the piano right. that has six half steps in it instead of seven half steps. Well, that is a good experiential learning process for them mm-hmm. to find that one natural, as we call it, interval. Yeah, that, diminished fifth interval, yeah. Yeah that is different mm-hmm. uh, rather than just saying, Hey, there's this one natural interval that's different. <laughs> right. Right. But it, for me, the important thing is, is that they understand that not all fifths are created equal, not all whatever are created equal. Right. Like right. this is, this concept is a way for me of getting to why we need these specific interval names. So I, I love that. I love that as a tool to get yourself going. Mm-hmm. And then you've, and then they're aware of the concept. I'm not sure I would want to personally dive 
too deeply in there, at least in a fundamental yeah. class. And, and, you know, there are people who, who this is, this is the way they teach intervals. And so if uh -huh. they, if they really do that, then students memorize that, uh, major second, two half steps, major third, four half steps, perfect fourth, five half steps, perfect fifth, seven half steps, major sixth, nine half steps, major seventh, 11th half steps, <laughs> right? Just, but, but I am with you that, uh, to be fluent, that approach involves way too many transformations mm -hmm. that just that just slow us down. So mm -hmm. I think these these other three approaches that we're talking about are are effectively abstractions above that basic concept mm -hmm. that get you more quickly to a place of being able to identify or name intervals. So uh, the second one, intervals by scales, which is this you know wonderful trick that. If you start from one in a major scale and you go up to any note in the scale, you're going to have a perfect or major interval. Right. And if you do the same thing coming down, you're going to have a minor or perfect interval. And then everything is just a transformation by half step away from that. Which is also one of the ways that's closest to the way we may hear things. Mm -hmm. One For of sure. Those. Yeah. And it's also, it's, it's a wonderfully easy one to connect to oral training as well. Because you, right. you can do the classic one, two, two is a major second, one, two, three is a major third, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, which, of course, you know, is then building up students for uh, functional hearing, right? Or, or do, do, re, whatever language you want to use. Right. Um, of, of, of recognizing, okay, I, oh, I'm, where is my fa? Oh, yeah, do, do, fa, there's my fa, because I can just call do to mind and... Right. And have, I've sung my dota fa enough times that, yeah. So, yes, if we have a, a schema of what a major scale sounds like, mm -hmm. if we have a schema of, we keep, I love this word now. Yeah, thank you, Lee. Yeah, exactly. If we have a schema of what a major scale looks like, we also have our answers. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there you're getting to another of the reasons that I think all of these approaches, other than the first one we talked about, of, you know, counting by half steps, are, are maybe frankly stronger is because, mm -hmm. because, uh, as, as we learned in our episode with Lee Van Handel, um, a lot of learning is about making connections to things that are already known mm -hmm. and the greater number of connections, the easier a concept is to, uh, to call to mind. And so, yeah, as you're saying schema, right. The, the technical term for that. And, and this, this connects so directly to that, that schema of scales orally and in written theory. Yeah. And then we learn other fundamental concepts and fundamentals that, that will make this easier. If we, when we learn key signatures, we, we, we quickly learn what, what notes are going to be in a major scale. We can, and that, that is, that becomes a, an easy way to calculate things. Yeah. Now, one of the downsides of this approach is that there are notes for which there is no major scale or minor scale for instance david what's a minor third above g sharp <laughs> well i can look at it on the piano <laughs> yeah but also you probably know right away right a minor third above g sharp is b that's a pretty common right. interval but <clears throat> if you've learned this approach then suddenly you're you're like oh gosh do i know g sharp major nope i don't yeah, i don't have a g sharp major scale in my head um or, or, for instance, minor third above F double sharp, right? Something that, that right. exists in the key of G sharp minor. There are many situations in which this is going to be cumbersome. Yeah. And, and 
and in the in those cases, right, the classic approach is either you say, okay, I've got to do a minor third above F double sharp. So to do that, I'm going to cancel, uh, hold off my double accidental. I'm going to pretend it's F natural. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, minor third above F natural, A flat, easy. Okay, bring back my double sharp, so I have to go up to accidental, so my A flat becomes natural, then sharp. And so my minor third above F double sharp is A sharp. One other challenge of intervals by scales, which is that if I'm working in a key, say I'm working in E flat major, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at um, D to F in that key, mm-hmm. and someone asks me what interval it is, if I only know my intervals by scales, mm-hmm. I have to erase the E flat major key and scale from my mind right? and call to mind a different key and scale. Yeah, and, that would be, com- that's a one too many things to do. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 and problematic, right? Because, because it causes us, because we want to be thinking functionally always with whatever right. key we're in. And this causes us to have to let go of that to, to calculate an interval. Right. So that's, that's why we have these other two methods that work much better in other situations. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, David, can you tell us about natural intervals? <laughs> I don't think that I prefer mm-hmm. I either of these last any of these last three methods. I think that you need to have all of them at your disposal. And it really it comes back to what you were saying earlier about spiraling. Yeah. That depending on our context, you know, as as fluent musicians, we're going to use a variety of different techniques. To, right. to recognize and, and create intervals. Yeah, yeah. So, so natural intervals, usually what we're talking about there is learning, for instance, where all the major thirds are on, on the white notes or in letter, in letter names without accidentals, and then altering from there. Right, which teaches you some valuable tools anyway. Like you should know what all those intervals are because they'll help you understand Mm-hmm. And there's some some great, uh, really beautifully obvious visual things when you do it this way. So if yeah. we take our thirds, and if you if you see C to E on the piano, you'll notice right away there are two black notes between that. Mm-hmm. And our major thirds, our white note, our natural interval major thirds, all have two black notes between them. Right. But if you take, but find a third on the piano that only has one black note between it. And that's going to be a minor third. And so if, if you're teaching interval qualities, if, you're, if your primary way of teaching interval qualities is, is this natural intervals approach, mm-hmm. then or when you're dealing with uh, notes other than the white notes, the classic way of doing it is to imagine the white note interval and to determine how it's altered mm-hmm. based on that. So let's say I'm asked to write a minor third above F sharp. I'm going mm-hmm. to say, okay, I know my white note third F to A is major. Mm-hmm. And the given note is F sharp. That shrinks the interval by a half step. So, oh, good, F sharp to A is minor. So you, you, mm-hmm. learn, you learn your intervals as alterations from the white notes. Yeah, and then that also ends up working well for chord qualities. and. and mm-hmm. um... Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's pretty darn quick. And it, and it doesn't require a knowledge of scales or keys, which in this case can be a positive because when we're working in uh, the context of a key, 
to figure out an interval, we don't have to erase that key context. Right. But we may have to erase an accidental, which... Yeah. And I think if you're working in a key with a lot of... If you're, if you're trying to do it visually on a piece of paper and you're working in a, you know, a key with a lot of accidentals, you also then have to do a lot of cross-checking to make sure that you've <laughs> accounted for all the accidentals. all the accidentals that you canceled to figure it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> This is, yeah, for, for sure. Um, yeah. And David, I think one, one of the things that you said earlier uh, gives us a clue on how we can get past this challenge of canceling and adding accidentals, which is you were saying that you want students to know that, for instance, in a major scale, the third on one is major, the third on two is minor, the third on three is minor, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And which takes us to the fourth approach uh, mm -hmm. of, of intervals by scale degrees, which is to say knowing with all of the intervals whether, uh, you know, a, a fifth on two, what kind of fifth is that? Well, in major it's right. perfect and in minor it's diminished. Um, and it, it, actually in, in each of these, the complexity of, of how many things you know has gone up. Right? Like there's a lot of information to remember if we're doing intervals by scale degrees. You have to remember seven qualities or mm -hmm. seven intervals. And, yeah. and so in one sense, it's harder. But the reality is that I think most, most musicians who are fluent at these things right. are using this approach. And if I'm playing piano and I'm in a major key, mm -hmm. uh, I just know that a two chord is minor. Right. I just know that. And, I don't... and with that knowledge comes the knowledge of the third and the fifth. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I just, I just know what those qualities, and I don't have to think about them. They're just embedded in my, in my schema. And I guess I do want to embed that schema in my students as well. Yeah, yeah. And well, and I do things like, and I think many of us do, right? Of especially with the smaller intervals, I think one, two, two is a major second. Two, uh -huh. two, three is a major second. Three, two, four is a half step, right? Or one, two, three is a major third. Two, two, four is a minor third. Right. Of you know, of like actively singing, singing various warm up patterns to to make those things explicit and start to build mm -hmm. up those, those uh, schema. So this method of uh, knowing intervals by where they are within, uh, with, by scale degrees, within a key, it's, it's really wonderful and it's really fast, but it does require real fluency with scale degrees in keys, knowing, you know, mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm in any key and I have this note, What's the scale degree for that note, or vice versa? What you know, what scale degree two in the key of A major? Yeah, and there are, I mean, the, I think there are challenges in how do you how you develop that fluency. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are not challenges if everybody has a keyboard, hmm. because if everybody has a keyboard, you can have them play through it, and then they yeah. can see, oh, that's that's what I have to play. Mm -hmm. um, I would also. I'd also argue that for me, that particular skill, the ability to go between 
a scale degree and the name of a specific node in a key mm-hmm. or the name of a specific node in a key and a scale degree, that skill to me is the most important skill that I want students to learn in anything I'm teaching, in any written theory, in any oral skills. Uh-huh. I, I want them to have that fluency of moving between functional identification of scale degree and letter name. Okay. Because because it opens up uh, sight reading uh-huh. and, and dictation, right? Yeah. Because if you if, if as long as you can hear the scale degree, call to mind what a scale degree sounds like. Or, or solfege, right? These are these are right. different names for the same concept of location within a scale. Then, then you gain fluency in in the oral side of things. And if you know your theory concepts by relation to solfege or scale degree, then those become fluent and connected to hearing as well. So it's a broader schema that mm-hmm. we're we're building. Um, and the thing is that, right, so a lot of these are patterns. And uh, my goodness, we've had a great uh, season of episodes, but, but, you know, so much of what we do is pattern recognition. Right. So mm-hmm. we, if we, if we, if you, if you have this pattern of uh, in your, in your, if you have that pattern and you know that pattern and you can, connect those patterns to notes is what you're saying mm-hmm. yeah then you have the world at your fingertips yeah and and y- you do yeah y- literally at your fingertips right i mean that's it whatever you can hear if you can hear all the scale degrees you can write down or play and i do i mean i remember having a teacher speaking of nadia boulanger one of my teachers who studied with nadia boulanger he could do things that seemed absolutely magical Mm -hmm. and i just thought i'll never be able to do that but then uh, some of this skill some of my students look at it as if it's some magical skill and i I say literally i wasn't good at this before and i'm just trying to get you to be there's no magic in this this is just something that you can learn to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I keep coming back to what you said at the beginning about spiraling, because I think if we, if on day one of teaching intervals, we try and teach them by scale degrees, you lose the class. It's too advanced at that point. We can't teach them everything at once. At once. That's right. Yeah. And we, and we have to, especially with intervals, gradually build it up um, so that, Mm -hmm. so that each step is a manageable step and and not overwhelming um but i think i think you know in that process as as we've talked about gradually connecting to to schema that they've already uh mastered or begun to master right the to mm-hmm. connect to to scales to connect to their knowledge of the keyboard to connect eventually to scale degrees and functional hearing mm-hmm and when I think about teaching intervals this way, I hate it a lot less than, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I think I'm going to teach them one way of doing it. Uh, right. You know, but it's a ch- pacing is a challenge too, right? Like you don't want to give them a new way 
yeah. until until the prior way has become pretty automatic. I think it's a yeah, that's a good um, a good argument for really careful curricular design. Yeah. And if you're in control of the whole curriculum, woo, great. And if you're not mm -hmm. in control of the whole curriculum, woof. Yeah. You've just got to figure out you, how to fit it in. If you're lucky enough to have your students over a more extended period of time, let's say you're mm -hmm. working with them for, you know, two years or even, you know, like middle school and high school teachers, three, sometimes four years, mm -hmm. uh, there's a real opportunity to to sequentially layer these things up. And a little bit there's some forgiveness in this too that if you if you are if you inherit students from another person who used a different method this is not necessarily bad this just means mm -hmm. that they have that additional perspective and now you can give them more additional perspective yeah yeah and you know i it, when when a student can quickly when a student quickly knows what i hope they know I don't particularly care <laughs> which process they used to get there. And it's just, it's more important when they're not quite getting there or not getting there quickly enough. Mm -hmm. um, and if they, uh, to use a voice analogy, it's, it's interesting because in order to build a consistent uh, instrument, vocally sometimes you have to break down the strategies that they've already developed that aren't good long-term strategies <laughs> um you know there's a uh, maybe this is not the place to talk about it but you know young singers tend to raise their larynx as they get higher and that's an intuitive strategy it 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 works kind of a little bit um, but it is not a good long-term strategy and convincing a body to stop doing that can be tricky and it can be frustrating for a student who has learned to rely on that not so good strategy or on that less, um, that strategy that will take them less, uh, far. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was not a, not a useful analogy. No, I think but, I think it's a. I mean, but I think we we all know cases of this in our own practice of where, mm -hmm. you know, where we've had to, where we may have had to rework something. I think in the case of these strategies for identifying and writing intervals, mm -hmm. one one of the good things is we don't we don't have to convince students to give something up. Mm -hmm. We're just we're just sharing an additional approach that that can be faster and and progressively more musical and they these things expand into other things and you know i do as soon as i started talking about harmony you know they're they're going to have to know that pattern with the mm -hmm. exception that of course the 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 chords are going to be major minor minor major major minor diminished right yeah yeah there's yeah <laughs> And it's it's funny that you think I you know I've never actually taught that as a linear pattern except except in in various warm up songs like one three major third two four minor uh -huh. third, um, whereas I've just always taught it as the major thirds are one four on, are on one four and five everything else is minor, right. 
and similarly yep. right and then well, it, and then the expansion to the triads major triads are one four and five everything else is minor except seven right so right um and uh although you know with intervals and, and perfect fifths or and, mm -hmm. and fifths um you know it's fifths and fourths if if the two notes are not uh b and f yeah this is the brilliant we should just we should just take a second and explain that shortcut because it's a wonderful <laughs> shortcut right that for any perfect interval both notes will have the same accidental unless right. the two notes involved are f and b in which case f will always have one accidental higher than b right or depending on uh yes no that's always true not depending on <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yeah for instance if like if it's if you have b flat <clears> to make a perfect interval one accidental higher in f is natural yes b flat to f perfect fifth or f yeah. to b flat perfect fourth yeah right so yeah a good shortcut and just to wrap up david what's your favorite interval oh what is my favorite interval i can i oh, oh. <laughs> i really love a well-tuned fifth <laughs> mm. yeah you know what i love this is this is so cheesy in the best way <laughs> a well-tuned major seventh oh oh all right yeah cool that was not what i was expecting you i was expecting i wasn't expecting the perfect major, fifth. I was like... major sixth or something oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> sixth are great though oh sixth my gosh are really great yeah they are they are uh, but you know, there's nothing for me like the rub of singing a major seventh. <laughs> it's just, it's just delicious. I, it, whichever note I'm singing, right? I'm just, I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, great, well, a, a well-tuned perfect fifth. I also love. <laughs> uh, well, this has been fun and, and woo, we came out with a lot of ideas for, uh, for future episodes. So I know, <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, we know that uh, we already know in our own relationships that you that you are very good at staying on track and I am very good at taking us <laughs> off. <laughs> David, your creativity adds so much that <laughs> So if uh, if we rambled, it's my fault. Otherwise I'll blindly follow my checklists. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why we're good together. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and so listeners, if, if you have a favorite way of teaching intervals that we didn't talk about, please let us know. And we'll be circling back to this concept when uh, we talk about teaching intervals in ear training as well. So uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Notes from the Staff is produced by utheory.com. Utheory is the most advanced online learning platform for music theory. With video lessons, individualized practice, and proficiency testing, U-Theory has helped more than 100,000 students around the world master the fundamentals of music theory, rhythm, and ear training. Create your own free teacher account at utheory.com slash teach.